A quick peruse through the internet after searching for the first water-cooled 911 yields results of widely differing opinions. Things like, it's just a bigger Boxster motor, cheap, plastic, interior, and what was Porsche thinking? Of course, there's the don't get me started on the fried egg headlights. But there is also a myriad of love given for the 911 that was the first real factory mass-produced 911, with statements like refinement in the drive, better than previous 911s, sophistication without straying away too far from the original. Porsche collectors are now starting to see the value in these cars that share components with its little sister, the 986 Boxster. For those that hate the 996, keep this little tidbit in mind. Without going the route of shared components or the modern manufacturing processes, the Porsche we know and enjoy today may never have happened. So love it or hate it, we can at least appreciate it. Welcome to Porsche, never substituted. I'm your host, Will Veach, and I've got to say for full disclosure that my very first Porsche outside of the 914s that I had owned was a brand new 2996 Carrera Cabriolet. I absolutely adored that car. If memory serves, it was Arctic Silver and made me smile just every day, although driving pretty much any Porsche accomplishes that. That car, for me, was fast, comfortable, and a pleasure to drive. I babied that car. In fact, I recall one day driving through the little town where I lived at the time, and I hit a pothole. I was furious. So I called the city and complained that no wonder nobody wanted to move there because they couldn't even make a decent road where decent cars could drive. The pothole wasn't that deep, but I loved that car. Did I mention that already? I loved that car. I was somewhat of a stupid pain in the neck at the time, but I dare say most of you have had the same feelings when your cars encountered something that could possibly make your drives a little less than stellar. I remember at the time just making excuses just to go driving so I could take it out of the garage and put the top down. Little did I know at the time that you don't need an excuse. Just go drive. But I digress. The beginning of the 911, dubbed the 996, were at the time when Porsche was experiencing some financial difficulties. Luckily, the newly developed mid-engine Boxster was just the shot in the arm that Porsche needed in order to right the ship, so to speak. The Boxster was for those that weren't quite ready for the 911, and it sold amazingly well. Porsche had decided to learn a few lessons from the Japanese automakers about better manufacturing processes, including the sharing of components that could be common for multiple cars. Porsche needed to become much more profitable and decided to adopt some of these principles. Oh sure, there had been attempts at this throughout the varying times of Porsche history, usually with VW, but nothing quite this radical. Let's talk a little bit about the history of the 996. First of all, it was built for the model years of 1998 through 2004 before giving way to the 997 for the 2005 model year. Now there's an exception to that, which was the Turbo S, GT2, and GT3, which would hang on for a couple of more years. In the fall of 1997, the new 911 would be unveiled at the Frankfurt Auto Show and subsequent shows through the early part of 1998. In March of 1998, the Carrera and Cabriolet models of the new 911 were on display at the Geneva Auto Show, where Porsche often garnered much success. Noticeably absent from that show, however, was Ferry Porsche, the son of Ferdinand. He was ill and not in the best of health, as he was 88 years old. In fact, he died only 12 days after the Geneva Show ended. 
The company obviously had some successes in prior years, but was banking, literally, on the success of the newest generation of 9-11. Vindelin Vitaking is quoted as saying, quote, We still have one shot left, but we will manage it, end quote. Not the most rousing or confidence-building statement, but he was right. 1.5 billion Deutschmarks was set aside for development capital for the Boxster and the 911, and it was split evenly between the two models, and a gamble was taken that they could help save Porsche. It feels like Porsche was staggering from financial crisis to financial crisis a lot during the years prior to 1997, but that is sometimes the price of innovation, and Porsche has never been accused of not being innovative. Strangely enough, though, the previous version of the 993 had sold surprisingly well, but Porsche wanted to stop thinking conservatively, and the decision was made to plow ahead with the two new model Porsches. There were inadequacies with some of the design of the 993, so it was full ahead with the new 996. As with any new 911, the design must conform to what is known as the Formsprache, or form language. You have to be able to look at the car and have it undeniably be a Porsche 911. Experts outside of Porsche understood this concept about Porsche. Take, for instance, this quote by Walter Maria de Silva, who was a stylist at Alfa Romeo. He said, quote, The Porsche 911 Carrera has a basic shape that has remained the same over decades. All its model generations speak the same form sprocka. They are merely adapted optically to the relevant time frame. I'm enthused by that. Not least, the Porsche convinces as well by its harmonious interaction of styling, technology, and functionality. In contrast to other sports cars, you can use it every day with no problems, end quote. The task was now to adopt the new generation of 911 to meet that lofty goal of form language that was so evident with the 356 and previous 911 models. So both of the new models, the Boxster and the new 911, had to have that family look that showed that it was all Porsche. One of the ways the designers chose to accomplish this was with what was essentially the same front ends, and that included the headlights. Porsche had previously attempted to create the family look with the 993, 928, and 968, with only warm success. So the design team was eager to try again with the Boxster and the 996. The challenge was to have the new cars look similar, but each be identifiable as their respective models, alike but different. Designer Harmlegai said it this way, quote, The old 911 is like the athlete Ben Johnson, packed with muscle and aggressive. The new 911 is like Carl Lewis, still powerful but with a slimmer figure, more elegant and much more perfectly proportioned. The shoulders still generate lots of power, which then uncoils with feline grace. He now springs out of the starting blocks, shows off the suppleness of his physique, end quote. I love quotes from Harm Lagai. He has such a way with words. He was the one that compared the cover of the Carrera GT to negligee. Lagai then spoke of the visual impact the 911 had to have and continued by saying, quote, if it doesn't stir anything inside you, inspire you, then it isn't a Porsche. End quote. As with the exterior aesthetics, the interior needed to be just as recognizable as a Porsche as well. One area that designers were leery about touching was the instrument panel. The 911 had five gauges traditionally, so the designers grouped them a little bit differently than in years past by making them overlap, with the tachometer being the focus center of the gauges. 
some variation of that layout still continues to this day. The overall design would then be given over to test marketing to see what people actually thought of the cars. In Carl Ledvigson's Porsche, Excellence Was Expected, he shows that the expectations between the Boxster and 911 were quite a bit different. The Boxster tended to be geared to a more youthful driver, while the 911 was seen as more refined and elegant. The 911 is more distinctive versus the Boxster's more in-factor. One of the biggest problems facing the project teams was the shared components of the two cars, and if you think about it, it's easy to see why. Horst Marchart said it this way, quote, I had a lot of problems in Weissach when I came to my colleagues and said, now we're going to make two cars, one that will sell for 120,000 Deutschmarks and the other for 75,000 Deutschmarks. I remember one told me, you're crazy. The same parts, the same length, where are you going to find 40,000 Deutschmarks? We had three products with no common parts. My job was to reduce the company to two products with a lot of part similarities. It became a sport in the entire company to reach these goals. We realized that to save our company, we had only one chance, end quote. Besides the overall look of the two cars, differences can be found throughout each of them, from springs, struts, and suspension to rigidity in the body but parts were still being shared between the two. Carryover from the 993 also occurred with the design principle of the rear suspension being very similar to the earlier model, but with all new components. One same but very different features of both cars was the engine. Both had the same basic power plant, but the 911 had significantly larger bores to the tune of nearly 11 millimeters. Other enhancements as well were distinguishing factors of the 996 over the Boxster. With designs complete, the car was ready to be unleashed to the general public. One of the biggest obstacles to overcome was the fact that the prior 911 customers probably wouldn't be too thrilled with the replacement of an air-cooled 911 with a liquid-cooled car. Another issue was that the headlights were not the typically rounded eyes that the public was used to, but instead a tear duct or fried egg headlight. But that was not necessarily seen as a bad thing by certain Porsche buyers. On the other hand, others were criticizing the new 911 by saying that it was the, quote, bastard of the Boxster and the 928, end quote. AMS Magazine said that, quote, the traditionalists sulked a bit was only to be expected. The bigger dimensions, the nose from the Boxster with its curiously shaped headlights, the missing macho bulges on its flanks, even the loss of the drip rails, all must evoke melancholy in the 911 enthusiast. But, to the point, next to the new 911, the old one looks like a relic from days past, end quote. Perhaps the most negative comments came from 911 designer and creator Butsi Porsche, the son of Ferry and grandson of Ferdinand, when he said that, quote, the current model is too trendy. For me, the 911 remained eternally young, simply because of its characteristic shape and reduction to an absolute functional minimum. The new model, on the other hand, represents a break from this principle, with the refined fittings and shape of the headlights, which, to me, are incomprehensible, end quote. Critics were also quick to point out every minor flaw that the 996 appeared to have. One critic attacked the doors, not the function, no, the sound. They didn't sound like the previous models did. Quote, the 996 had the closing sound of a Toyota, end quote. Now, not all the comments were negative, of course. After all, it was still a Porsche, and things like aerodynamics, speed, and handling 
were very evident. Motorsport said that it was a, quote, crushingly able sporting GT, a super-fast, all-purpose missile that provides more pure ability for the money than any other competitor, end quote. Mark Gilley said of the 996 that, quote, anyone who loves sports cars in general, and Porsches in particular, should rejoice because the latest iteration 911 lives up to its image, end quote. Another great accomplishment was the release of multiple versions of the car. The Carrera 4, with its all-wheel drive and more aggressive-looking rear end, the new innovative Targa design with its sliding glass roof that escaped into the back window. Of course, the Cabriolet version with its automatically retractable top and a standard aluminum hardtop that fit over the convertible. And rounding out the 996 was the Turbo, GT2, and GT3 versions. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't address the elephant in the room regarding the Boxster and the 996, and that is the bearing issue with the IMS. That issue is not insignificant and would cause complete destruction of the motor if it occurred. Christian Ward of Road & Track wrote in 2015 the following, quote, The biggest reason for the low 996 values is the misconception that the engines have the durability of blown glass. This is one gripe with the 996 that really needs to be addressed. Some early cars featured a weak bearing in the intermediate shaft known as the IMS. Porsche had experimented with new bearing designs, and this development resulted in a short run of low-capacity bearings, some of which ended up in early 996s. An IMS bearing failure results in a completely destroyed engine. Luckily, most qualified Porsche shops can perform a pre-purchase inspection and identify bearings that have been upgraded or may need to be replaced. As terrible as a blown engine is, enthusiasts have made it seem like every 996 came with a defective engine. Further fanning the flames, Porsche's handling of the problem was a PR disaster. But the reality is that the majority of the engines are fine, end quote. The article goes on to say that in actuality, it is about 1 to 5% of those cars that need to have the IMS replaced. Larger than it should be, but not as dire as it is made out to be. Road and Tracks' Kim Reynolds took the new 996 to the Nürburgring and was reluctant to give it any praise as he was a fanatic of the old 993. But after being out on the track, he concluded that, quote, you can't finish a lap at a place like this and not conclude that the new Porsche is significantly faster and, yes, a better car. Perhaps we shouldn't think of the 996 as a better or worse 911, but rather as a different one, Retuned by smart engineers for modern expectations. Times change. Something gained for something lost. End quote. Love it or hate it, the 996 has become more and more collectible in recent years, with cars that were once dubbed the end of the 911 becoming a cherished addition to Porsche collectors' garages and a great introduction for new Porsche owners. Thanks for listening. Please share and tell your friends, family, and fellow Porsche lover. I also want to hear from you. I'm collecting Porsche stories for a future podcast and would love to hear how your love affair with Porsche began. You can email us at stories at neversubstituted.com. Please support our podcast by going to neversubstituted.com and check out our shop, links, and some very cool stuff, plus a preview of next week's show. Special thanks to Dennis Schrader Photography in Austin, Texas. You can see some amazing automotive prints and artwork at FastLanePhotoWorks.com. Also, much of the information from this podcast is from Porsche, 
Excellence was expected by Carl Ludvigson. I'm Will Veach. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope to see you again soon.